The following audio is from Hope Hill Church. To learn more about Hope Hill Church, please visit hopehillchurch.org. All right, uh, I want to take uh, this Sunday as an opportunity to kind of kick off, uh, in, in a way, a new school year. Uh, eight years ago, September 9th, 2010, uh, Hope Hill Church moved into this building. Um, we had just started meeting uh, April 24th, 2010 was the first time that a group of people, about 20 of us, gathered together and started praying and exploring what a new church would look like. And from April to August, we grew to about 80, and September 9th, we moved in this building with 88 people. The beautiful thing is um, almost half of those people that started Hope Hill Church came to know Christ in those first few months. In August, before we had a name, an official name as a church, and before the state of Virginia even recognized us as an actual church, we baptized 14 people. And the beautiful thing is that that has been our mission from the beginning, to be in our community, to be in our neighborhoods, to be looking outside of us and not just at ourselves, and spreading the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. In our first eight years, we've baptized close to 300 people. Last week was an amazing Sunday. We baptized eight more, and it's been amazing to see God transforming lives of people in his, in his way. He meets us right where we're at, and he calls us to himself. This morning, a family came up to me and prayed to receive Jesus, and it's just that's what it's about. It's about the mission. We as a church are a part of a larger movement. Our local church is a part of the body of Christ around the world. We have brothers and sisters all over this world who call Jesus Father, who call him Savior, who call him Lord. Locally, we're also a part of a couple organizations. One is called the Send Network, and its mission is to be on the mission of God. Today, we're going to look at how God is a sending God, how he sent his son to die for us. And Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I now send you to carry on this mission, to take my love, to take my life, to take my truth to those who do not yet know me. Uh, on Thursday and Friday, Brandy and I are a part of an assessment team that helps approve other potential church planners to receive funds to begin new churches. Uh, it's been demonstrated through statistics that church planting, like we did back in 2010, is the number one way of bringing new people into the family of God. Uh, as you can see, in our first eight years, we've baptized close to 300 people who were either who had either left the church or had not yet discovered the love of Christ and been involved in the church. And that's what it's about, not just to have a small gathering where we sing kumbaya and read a couple verses here and there and keep each other warm and, and fuzzy. Um, but I don't know where those words came from, but I hope you get what I mean. It's, the church doesn't exist for its members solely. The church exists to love and equip one another so that we can go to those who are not yet a part of the family of God. The church exists for those who are not yet a part of it. A couple statistics I want to show you from some of these slides. Uh, as we met as a part of this assessment team, there were 11 couples who felt called start churches, and we spent two, literally, like 15-hour days back-to-back with them, um, from early morning to late at night, asking them about their vision, their, their values, their readiness, going through family counseling, um, a, a, a 
assessing whether or not this was something. Church planning can be hard work. And as many of you know who are on our teams, setting up and tearing down is not uh, the job that everybody loves to do. But it's necessary. And so uh, up until recently, almost 40% of church plants that start failed before year five. And, and when we have good programs and processes in place to surround people, give them proper training and to build them up and help them receive funding, we've seen that number in the D.C. area jump to about 90% success rate in the first 10 years. So that's great news, and it's great to be a part of an organization that supports us. In our first year, we received almost $200,000 in outside support to get this church up and running. It bought our equipment. It helped pay salary for staff to run the church, such as myself and a couple other people. And it's been an amazing journey. And the mission has just begun. We don't want to slow down. We don't want to now shift focus. Okay, we've got a good enough crowd. You know, on, on a Sunday morning, we'll have anywhere from two, 300 people gathered together over two services. And, and many churches, they would say, you know, that's enough. Let's start just looking at the inward. Let's take care of each other. But we don't ever want to be that church that slows, slows down and takes our focus off the mission. We believe the mission is clear in Scripture, and we want to keep ourselves looking outside of us. We want this to be our locker room for football fans, and we want that to be the, the field where we, we un, unfold and execute the game plan. So are you with me on that? Okay, so a couple slides. Mason, that first slide. All right, here's some statistics. Church planning has a huge impact in our world. Within the first three years, most church plants will see new converts come to know Jesus and baptize them, about 10 people for every 100. In our first four months, we had 14 people get baptized, and close to half of our original 14 gave their hearts to Jesus and came and got connected to the church. As a church gets older the focus becomes more inward. Three to 15 years, a lot of churches surveyed, only baptize about five for every 100 people that are a part of them. And then older, older churches, 15 years plus, the number drops even more. We don't want that to happen. Uh, we want to see God using us each to reach our nation, to reach our world. It's been said of the D.C. area that if you can reach your neighbors in your backyard, you can reach the world. Many of you have neighbors who live or are here from different nations. Uh, in, in some cases, for some people groups, D.C. is the biggest city where people of their nation gather. It, uh, I believe Ethiopians, D.C. is second, the second largest city of Ethiopians outside of their country. Uh, it even beats other cities within their country. So that being said, we helped plant two Chinese churches this past um, Thursday. Uh, a, a West African church and a couple Spanish, uh, Hispanic churches. And so we are doing all we can to reach the world right here in our backyard. And we want to stay on that mission. We want to stay on that, on that focus. And again, we're going to kind of review some scriptures that give that foundation for us. Um, let's dive in. Galatians, I mean Genesis, they both start with G. So... I'm going to take a drink and slow down a little bit. I'm getting kind of fired up. While you turn to Genesis 12, uh, I'm going to take a drink. Uh, all right. Genesis chapter 12, let's go. The book of Genesis uh, means beginnings. 
And from the beginning, God had a plan that's been unfolding ever since. And that same plan still continues today. God's plan was to call certain people to be his vessels of love to reach all other people. It was never God's plan to raise up just the Israelites and love them and be their God and everyone else feel neglected. It was always God's plan to raise up a people who would be his priests, his ministers, his royal ambassadors to take his love to the rest of the world. But what happened in the nation of Israel far too often is as they grew, they turned inward and they started looking at themselves and they started wondering why they didn't have it as good as other people and they started worshiping one another and their passions and their desires instead of the God uh, and, and his mission. In the beginning of the start of the nation of Israel, we had a guy named Abram called, who later God changed his name to Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one. Yes, you know it. Okay. All right. So Father Abraham was called and appointed by God to be chosen as a vessel through which God would bless the nations. And this has always been his plan. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to a land that I will show you. From the very beginning, Abraham did not know exactly where God was going to use, choose to use him and send him. And yet Abraham was obedient. Later in Hebrews, we see in the Hall of Faith, Hebrews, um, it says of Abraham, when called to go, he simply went. And because of his faith, he was counted as righteous. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, your father's household, everything you know. I want you to leave it. He was a man who was very well off. He had herds. He had uh, servants galore. He had land. He had all of these things. And God said, I have a plan for you that goes way beyond this. I want you to take everything you know, and I want you to go to a place that I'm going to show you. I will make you into a great nation. And for those of you who know the story of Abraham, he had how many children? He was about 70s right now. How many children did he have at this, at this point? Zero. And yet God said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. It has been God's plan from the beginning that we would be blessed so that we could be a blessing. Abraham was chosen to be a vessel through which all the peoples of the world would come to know the love of our Father and the saving knowledge of the Son who would be sent as a Messiah to save us. Many years pass. We see the nation of Israel grow, the, the descendants of Abraham. And again, as they grow, they turn inward. They turn to themselves instead of following God, instead of going to the nations and sharing the love of God. They turn inward and they start worrying about this, that, and the other instead of focusing on the truth of who God is and his love for them and being vessels and ambassadors, missionaries, and priest, a priesthood to the people. And so there comes a time when they are invaded by the Babylonian Empire. They, the Babylonians come in and they take the Israelites into captivity. They drag them out of their homeland 
and into the area known as Babylon, and they are now being coached. They're being taught no longer in the ways of the, of, of the Lord, but now in the ways of Babylonian culture, witchcraft, evil, dark arts, um, all kinds of things, worshiping demons and witchcraft and doing things totally contrary to the ways of Scripture and the ways of the Lord. And so there are people among them that are known as prophets, some faithful to God and some just wanting to let the people hear what they want to hear. And they're going to the prophets and saying, please pray to God for us. We want to go back home. We don't want our children to have to suffer. We don't want to have to stay in this place. It's evil. And many of the prophets were saying, don't worry, God has a plan. He's going to rescue us. We'll be home shortly. And yet Jeremiah comes up and rises on the scene as a true prophet. And he says, I have heard from the Lord. And here's the message that the Lord wants us to hear about our rescue. Here's the message that God wants us to hear, the plan that he has for our life. A lot of us have back home a a poster or a picture or a coffee cup with the words, Jeremiah 29, 11. How many of you know that verse? You have it on a t-shirt or on a coffee mug somewhere. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. A lot of us have no clue where that verse, the context of that verse and why it was shared. And I want to paint that picture for you again, showing you there is a mission, there is an intentionality behind God and what he does. And it's the same from cover to cover. God is ascending God wanting to reach those who do not yet know him. And so God says, you know what? You wouldn't go to those people on your own, so I am going to carry you there. You think they came in and invaded you and took you captive? You've got it wrong. You're going to obey my mission whether you go willingly or I have to drag you there. And he picks up these people, the Israelites. He takes them out of the place that they have made comfortable for themselves A big problem in many of our churches is we've built buildings and become so comfortable with our own gyms and our own leagues. We've pulled away from the world and the mission, and we've focused on ourselves. Let that never be the case for us. The Israelites had turned inward, and God said, you've missed the mission. I'm going to send you to the mission field. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to the house of Israel. This is Jeremiah 29, verse 4. This is what the Lord God says to all those who I carried into exile. Who is the one that we point to that is behind them being captives? Pointing that way. Whose fault is it? Flat out, God says, I carried you. I brought you into exile. Why would God do that? Why would God be such a mean God and take people out of their home and everything they love and send them to live around dark, evil people? Why would God do that? That's what they're thinking. Prophets, please get us home. We want to be home by next week. Our gardens back home are dying. We got to get back home. Here's what God says to you, to those of you that have been taken from Jerusalem and brought to Babylon. Build a house and settle down. How many of you have ever built a house? It takes about a week, right, with TV shows. 
30 minutes. Ah, uh, yeah. Seriously, how many have ever had a house built? How long, how long does it take? Months. For some, a year, right? Anybody ever been waiting a couple years for a house to be built? I've heard stories like that. It takes a while. So, guys, hey, you're not going home next week. I want you to build a house. I want you to settle down. It doesn't, it doesn't end there. I want you to plant a garden. How many of you have ever planted a garden? How long does it take? Ten, ten minutes. Oh, the HGTV watchers in this room. How long does it take for you to produce a harvest and then be able to eat of it? It can take months. It can take years to get a crop really going. I want you to build a house. I want you to plant gardens. I want you to eat what they produce. Verse 6, I want you to marry and have sons and daughters. I want you to find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. So we just went from building a house to planting a garden and harvesting a crop to now you want me to stay here long enough to have my children grow up and get married? This just went from months to years to many to decades. I want them to also, your sons and daughters to have sons and daughters. I want you to increase in number there. Do not decrease. Now get this. He's not saying, in the land of Babylon, I want you to thrive, and I want you to make your own culture. I want this to become little Israel. He doesn't say that at all. He turns the focus outward in verse 7. Verse 7, he says, I want you to seek the peace and the prosperity, not of your family, not of your people group, not of those who are a member of your temple. I want you to seek the peace and the prosperity of the what? Of the city where I have sent you. Abram, I want you to leave everything you know and go to a land that I'm going to show you. I'm going to bless you so you can bless the nations. Israel. I'm going to take you into a land that you don't know, a land that you don't want to be, and I want you to build a house there, plant a garden, grow your families, and bless the people I have surrounded you with. Pray for the city where I have sent you. I have carried you there. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. It's not going to be weeks. It's not going to be months. It's not going to be even just a few decades. They're, they've been listening to what they want to hear. We want to go home. We want to be comfortable. They have some prophets speaking to them saying, don't worry. God's going to save us. And Jeremiah says, those prophets are lying to you. God has a much bigger plan. This is where those words get ready to come. The plans I know I have for you, says the Lord. It's not to go home and to enjoy a nice ranch by a lake. It's not to have blessings and all the dreams fulfilled in your life that you've always hoped for. The plans I have for you are you to be a blessing, to live in this place where you don't want to be, to care for the people you don't love, to pray for the people, to pray for the city where I have sent you. If it prospers, you too will prosper. Verse 10, this is what the Lord says, when 70 years... This is your new home. 
this is your new life. This is your life. This is as it was meant to be from the beginning. It has been my mission to send you to reach these people. You've been home, stuck behind your nice walls, taking care of yourself and neglecting the people I love. Live there among them. Care for them. Pray for them. Lead them to me. When 70 years are complete for Babylon, for Babylon to say, this mission is to reach Babylon. We know the story of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar ended up giving his heart to the Lord. He had to get a little crazy first, but he ended up coming to know Jesus because Daniel was faithful and kept speaking into the life of an evil king. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise. Some of us want God's promises met tomorrow, don't we? We want them met next week. In some cases, we'll give God a year or two, but God, you gotta, you got to hold him to it. When 70 years are completed, I will fulfill my promise to you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you in this place, plans to not harm you in this place, plans to give you a hope and a future in the land where I have carried you. Then you will call on me, and you will come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me, and you will find me when you what? Seek me with all of your heart. My hope and my prayer is that we on this church, many of you, you don't want to be in this area, but God has brought you here. When Brandy and I started praying about planting a church, we wanted some nice place that was maybe just north of South Carolina. Let us call us to Hawaii to suffer for you there. God knew his plans for us before the foundations of the world. And he chose this to be the place where you would be, where I would be fulfilling the mission that he has for us. And we're not here for us. They were not there for them. They were there for Babylon. We are here to reach those who are not yet a part of it. We are part of the body of Christ. Jesus came. He left all of heaven, the comforts of heaven, and he came and became one of us to take our sin and our junk upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin in our place to show us the way to life. He was allowed himself to be hung on a cross, to die and to give his life, to offer us in exchange his forgiveness and the life that we can find in him. He pours out his love into us so that we can then pour it into those who do not yet know him. Paul became aware of this. Paul was a man living according to the law as a man named Saul, a Jewish man. He was the top of his class. He was the elite of the religious elite. And yet God got a hold of him and said, you've been trying to be all wrapped up in religion and law. It's not about that. I love you because I want you to love those you're persecuting. I want you to love those you're rejecting. And God changed Paul and sent him out to be the first missionary. Paul, in one of his missionary journeys, he traveled to a place called Athens, Acts chapter 17. This place was known for their religion, for their philosophy. They had many 
who would sit around day after day discussing deep philosophical thoughts and worshiping gods day and night. They were so religious that they erected an idol to every known god that they were aware of. And just in case they forgot a god, they made an idol, and the inscription was, To an unknown god. Paul stepped into the midst of that idol-worshiping, evil place, And he said, you all are going to hell because you don't know the real God. Is that what he said? No. That one in the one of many points would not have gotten the ears to their heart. Instead, he stepped into the midst of that people group who were looking everywhere but to the true God. And he said these words, I see that you are a deeply devoted religious people. I see that you worship all kinds of gods, and you even have an idol to an unknown God. If you would allow me, I'd love to share with you about that God. And he won the right to be heard. He built a relationship with them, not by condemning and judging them, but stepping into the midst of who they were as a people. He even quoted their own philosophers and poets to gain their understanding. And he got the right to share these words. Acts chapter 17. 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed something from us because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man, God made every nation that they should inhabit the whole earth. Now watch this next part. And God determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God has a plan for each and every one of us. Not just a plan for you to be a good dad or a good mom, but even the time and the place where he would want you to live. Why? Why did God put you in Northern Virginia in 2018? Here's the answer. He determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Verse 27, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of one of us. For in him we live and we move and we have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. This is the mission. That each of us would see ourselves as anointed and appointed by God to work where we work, to live where we live, to go to school where you go to school, to shop where you shop, so that those who live and work and sleep in those places would see God in you and come to know him as Father and Lord. This is the mission, not just to gather a place where we can have a cool band with an amazing guitarist, not so that we can have a place where we can memorize a few words and pray a few prayers and check a box that we did our religious duty, but so that we can come into this locker room 
and be equipped with the game plan to live out the game of life that God has called us to live. And the score, way you win a game in the game of life, the way you score touchdowns in God's system, is by loving people who do not yet know God and leading them to follow Him. When was the last time you shared the love of God with someone who doesn't know I don't exist as a paid pastor to do evangelism for you. I need to be reaching my own neighborhood. I need to be in my own circle sharing love, sharing faith. But you have a role to be fulfilling as well. Some call this kind of thinking missional thought. But this has been the plan from the beginning. I just took you through the different parts of scripture showing you God is ascending God. His plan is to bless you, to send you so that you can be a blessing and point others to him. A little video we play every so often kind of sums this up. It's this video right here. In the past, churches have spent large amounts of resources to construct the most attractive places imaginable for the community in which they were situated. Great music, compelling teaching, and a host of programs designed to gather people together were the staple of such church communities. Anyone who wanted to come was welcome, and church members were encouraged to invite their friends and neighbors. Generally, people had a pleasant experience. The people who came and were cared for seemed relatively similar. Education, income, pastimes, race, struggles, and histories seemed to be almost identical. Eventually, someone asked the question, What about all the people who aren't like us, but who live around us? Why aren't they here too? In response, the church increased its marketing budget, direct mailing the community, taking out ads in local papers, buying radio time, releasing a fresh web page, and offering to host the world's greatest event. The church was determined to be the center of everything great that happened in the community. Church members began to rely on the church to do the work of conveying God's story in the world. If someone could be brought to an event, they could hear about Jesus from a professional teacher. Inviting people became synonymous with evangelism. The missional church, on the other hand, empowers its members to be the church of the community. The church trains, resources, encourages, and challenges its people to live out the good news in their community with those who would otherwise be suspicious of a church and its marketing efforts. The church sends out its members to live among people unfamiliar with church customs, songs, and what it holds sacred, just like a foreign missionary. The missional church recognizes then that every believer embodies the life of the church in their neighborhood, in their school, or at their place of work each one of them telling God's story in the context of compassionate and genuine relationships. So that's what we're about. If you want to know what Hope Hill Church is about, it's that. We want to be a place that gathers together for encouragement, for equipping. We want you to be in small groups where you can get to know and walk through life's hardships and joys and struggles together, where you're learning the spiritual disciplines that are taught in the Word. We want you to be benefiting from the things that we have to offer, the gifts that God has given us to bless and build up each other. But that's, it doesn't end there. We are to be a healthy church for one another so that the church can fulfill its mission. The Holy Spirit was sent to empower us to be missionaries. And missionaries aren't just a few people like Cindy back here, who obeyed and went to a foreign land to share the gospel. Each and every one of you, doctors, lawyers, teachers, 
are really just cleverly disguised missionaries. Each and every one of us is called to be on this mission, sharing our life, more importantly, sharing Jesus' life and his love with those who do not know him. If you're here this morning and you don't know the God of the Bible, if you have never opened up your heart to receive the forgiveness that is offered because of Jesus himself dying on a cross for us in our place, that is where it begins. It begins with the Bible saying, be born again. Understand that in and of ourselves, we fall short of God's requirements. God is a holy God. And because of sin in our life, we are separated from God. But God loves us so much that to any who would put their hope and faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, he will cleanse us and forgive us from all unrighteousness and give us new life and show us how to live the kind of life that he has called us to live so that when others see him in us, they will desire that. They will want that. We are called to be salt and light in our world, pointing people to Jesus, making things taste better, preserving things and keeping them right. We're called to love and share the truth with what this church is here for. My hope is that you'd be willing to be a part of it so that we cannot see this church grow just for growth's sake, but so that the people you're thinking of right now do not get melted and find the joy that comes only from knowing you and knowing Jesus who loves you and the God who made you. As our worship team comes to close us in a time of response, I want to challenge you to think through a few things as we enter a time of prayer. Number one, if you don't know God in that personal way, if you've never called out to him and said, God, thank you for dying for me. Come into my life. Help me to turn from the things that I know that are wrong and make me who you want me to be. Thank you for giving your life. Now I give you mine. Come in and make me new. If that's you, I want you to let one of us know. We're going to have prayer team members standing around different parts of the room. I'll be up in front. And if you want to give your heart to Jesus today, come and pray with one of us. And we will pray with you and celebrate that decision for you. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your Savior, but you're not sure exactly what role you're supposed to be playing, then, then during this prayer time, just ask God to show you. I can tell you that some people showed up this morning and your role might be as simple as joining the sign team because the sign didn't get put out today. Anybody be looking for the sign for you to see? Yeah, right there. I have one family say, we, we decided to pull in anyway. We weren't sure if you were having church or not. Um, your role might be as simple as joining a set-up teardown team. Your role might be starting a Bible study in a month with our new community. Your role might be taking seriously the gospel of Jesus and sharing it with your coworkers. Whatever that role is, whatever that job is, whatever that task in this family of God that God has for you, he's just looking for someone willing and saying, God, here I am. Send me. Here I am. Use me. During our prayer time, ask God.
worship team closes with this. Let us remember that this is only possible because of what Jesus first did for us. Here at Hope Hill Church, we regularly will pause at the end of our services and remember that this is only possible because Jesus loved us. The Bible says that he is the good shepherd. And if there was a hundred sheep and 99 were saved and safe for the night and, and he counted them and saw there was one missing, he would leave the 99 just to go find the one. And you might be that one that he's looking for. Let him find you today. He loves you. He's just waiting for you to turn around and come to him. On the night before he was arrested and crucified on a cross, he took a piece of bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples, his friends. And he said, this bread is a symbol of my body that will be broken for you. As often as you eat of it, remember what I did for you. This cup he took and he said, this is a symbol of my blood that will be shed for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you taste of it, remember that I've forgiven you. Remember that I died for you so that you can now live for me. So if you have made that decision to know Jesus as your Savior, we invite you to come up to either of the communion stations. There's one in the back. If you have a gluten issue, there's gluten-free bread back there as well in the little, little bowl. Respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying to your heart this morning. Father God, move among us now, I pray. Let us respond in obedience to who you are and what you're leading us to do. In your name we pray.